Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Lord, we're here to learn more about you. Lord, I pray that I won't mess that up. I pray that I would decrease, you would increase, and your spirit would speak through me, and that you would speak the message that you want this body to hear. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So I'm Dave, and I'm better known on the North Shore as the husband to Tanya, or Scott and Mickey Bridgman's first son-in-law, or the dad to Michaela and Scott and Knox. Um, some of you guys know me as, as the Army officer. I've been doing that for the last 14 years. And if you do know me, then you're probably wondering why I'm up here. Uh, sometimes I wonder that myself. Truth is, I'm humbled by this opportunity to speak, and especially as I look out at so many people who have inspired me so much over the last half of my life that I've been spending time on the North Shore. And uh, I'm blessed by this opportunity because I need to hear and absorb this sermon more than anyone, so don't think that I'm speaking from a position of wisdom or you know, a perspective of having all this mastered, but the perspective of a sinner who's been saved by grace, who needs to be reminded daily of the calling that I have as a disciple of Christ. And our spiritual calling is what I'm going to speak on today. And like I said, I'm in the army, so you might hear a few acronyms or a few war stories, um, but quick disclaimer, nothing that I'm going to say today is an official position of my unit or the army or the Department of Defense, so don't hold anything I say against them. Um, but we'll get into the message here. Um, let's start with a word association. When you hear the word mission, what do you think of? When you hear the word mission, what do you think of? Because we're here in a church called the Mission. Probably a lot of you think of the church, and that's a good thing. Or some of you might think of you know going on a mission. If you're from California, you might think of the old Catholic churches that are scattered throughout in places like Santa Barbara and Carmel. If you're from the Bay Area, you might think of the neighborhood called the Mission that has the best burritos in the world. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, But if you're in business or you're in the military, you might think of a mission statement. And when I found out that Tripp was going to call this church the Mission, that's what I thought of. I thought of you know, okay, what's the mission statement? I think I even asked Tripp, what's the mission statement? You know, what's our mission going to be as a church? Um, and, you know, of the many definitions in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, definitions for the word mission, the ones that I relate to the most that resonate with me are a specific task with which a person or a group is charged and an objective or a purpose. And today I'm going to talk about our mission as Christians through this lens. And I hope to remind us of our collective task and purpose as disciples of Christ. And because the army doctrine is my frame of reference, I'm going to draw a few parallels between military missions and the spiritual mission. If you're in the military, sorry, you're stuck with another talk from an army guy. Um, But hopefully it resonates. Um, In army doctrine, when we make a plan, we call it an operations order, it's got five sections. The first section is the situation where we describe you know, what our friendly situation is, the enemy situation, and then the mission. And it's a very short mission statement. Then we talk about how we're going to execute the plan, then we talk about how we're going to support the plan, and then we talk about how we're going to communicate. 
Those are the five sections of an operations order. But the only section of that operations order, the only section of the plan that every soldier has to memorize is the mission. Every soldier has to memorize that. And that mission statement contains a task and a purpose. And collectively, as we memorize that mission statement, we know what we're supposed to do. That's the task. And we know why we're supposed to do it. That's the purpose. And for us millennials, it's really important to know the why. You know, my kids, every time I tell them something to do, they ask me why. But if you know why, then you have a better appreciation and understanding for the what. Um, so the purpose is, is sometimes more important than the task because your task could kind of change um, throughout the course of the operation to accomplish the purpose, which then accomplishes the mission. So that's from the military perspective. Wouldn't it be great if God said, hey, here's your mission statement, clearly, concisely, here's your task, here's your purpose. Well, it is, it is in here, so you just memorize all this and live accordingly, you'll be good. That's a joke. It's harder to do that. Um, but if you examine Jesus' words closely, he is very direct in a few places. Very direct. And, and I take a couple of those statements um, together you know, as our task and our purpose, our mission statement, so to speak. And we're going to look into a couple of those direct statements from Jesus, and we're going to try to draw out that task and that purpose that we should live by as disciples of Christ. So first, let's look at Matthew chapter 22, if you have your Bible. Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 34. And this is a, to give you a little context, this is a point in Jesus' ministry where he's, he's coming to Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, He's now in Jerusalem. It's the week before he's crucified. And he goes to the temple and he creates a stir and there's some resistance from the religious leaders um, who are feeling a little bit challenged by him and his confidence in his ministry. And so they're peppering him with questions. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are peppering him with questions, mostly to trap him. I um, mean, he's kind of dodging and giving parables. But this particular question is pretty good, actually. Um, and it comes from a a Pharisee, in verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And it's a good question because they had about 600 commandments, things that they were supposed to memorize and live by. So which is the most important, the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied in verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And if you flip to Mark, keep a thumb in Matthew because we're going to come back there, but if you flip to Mark, you'll see the other version of that story. It's the same story, just told by Mark instead of Matthew. And it's chapter 12 of Mark. You can kind of see the response to Jesus' answer from this teacher. So Mark 12, verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And when he said those words, it resonated with that teacher because those are direct quotes from the Old Testament. The first, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. That's a direct quote from Deuteronomy 6.5. After Moses gives the Ten Commandments, he then says that to kind of sum it all up. And then the next one, love your neighbor as yourself, is a direct quote from Leviticus 19.18, where God the Father is telling Moses a list of things that can be considered commandments, and he sums it all kind of up with love your neighbor as yourself. And this teacher, so it resonates with this teacher, and he says in verse 32, well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's acknowledging, even though most of these teachers of the law are trying to trap Jesus, he's acknowledging, wow, that was a great point. And when Jesus heard that this teacher had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far away from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So, well done by Jesus. But this is a powerful couple of statements that I want us to, to hold on to. And you could, you could pull this out as our tasks from Jesus on how to live for Him. Love God, love others. And if you want to look for a purpose, I think of the Great Commission. These are the last words that Jesus says to His disciples before He ascends into heaven. And let's take a look now at Matthew 22. Go back to Matthew chapter 22. These are the last two verses in the book of Matthew. Sorry, I said 22. I meant Matthew 28. The last two verses in the book of Matthew. Chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then, as described in the, mer- the version in Mark, he ascends into heaven. And he dropped the mic. He said, These are my final words. I'm out. I'm going to heaven. Pretty important things that he's telling his disciples. He's telling them his purpose. And I've just given you all this teaching you know, throughout my few years with you. And now the purpose is that you go, disciples, and you make more disciples. So the task that's described in those great commandments to love God and to love others is followed by the purpose here in the Great Commission, which is the then go for, go forward, and make more disciples. So let that sit with you for a second. There's a, a slide that kind of captures that. If you're going to put this in military language, you know, a mission statement with your task and your purpose, I kind of sum it up as to love God and love others in order to encourage others to become disciples of Christ. Our tasks are to love God and to love others. Our purpose is to make more disciples. And a lot of that's God's responsibility and His work. And a lot of that's the response of those individuals. But we can do our part to help make more disciples. But how do we do that? It's easy to say we love God and to say we love others. 
Maybe it's easy to feel it. How do we do it? How do we actively? Let's start with loving God. How do we actively love God? It starts with prioritizing Him. And notice the order of these commands from Jesus. When He says, love God and then love others, He starts with the loving God part. And at one point in the book of Matthew, Jesus is even as direct as to say in Matthew 10, 37, He says, anyone who loves his father or his mother more than Me is not worthy of Me. Anyone who loves his son or his daughter more than Me is not worthy of Me. He's telling you how to order your relationships. Even the positive relationships in our lives. We're celebrating Father's Day today. It's generally a positive relationship. Our relationships with our children and our spouses are positive relationships. They're good things. But we need to order them second to our relationship with the Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying. Because these relationships, even the positive ones, can be idols if we put them first. Everything good in our life can become an idol if we put it ahead of God. Things like our families, our jobs, our homes, surfing, eating good food. None of these things are going to fill us up. And a lot of these things are going to eat us up and might let us down. But if, like in Matthew 6, 31, we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, all these other things will be added to us. In that verse, the disciples are asking Jesus, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? And He says, hey, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, all these things will be given to you. So we're supposed to love God first. But how do we show that love? Let's think about how we receive love from others. How do we give love to others? Well, it starts with spending time. And as Garrett taught us last week, we need to abide in Him. We need to stay connected to Him as the vine. We need to talk to Him. We need to listen to Him through prayer and through reading of the Word. God created us to have a relationship with us. And Jesus commands us to love the Lord with our heart and our soul and our mind. And He's doing His part in this relationship. But are we doing our part? I ask myself, because I, like I said, I need to hear this sermon more than anybody. Am I doing my part in this relationship? Am I spending the time with the Lord? Am I talking to Him? And am I listening to Him? the way that we need to, to, to show that love to Him. And finally, we need to remember His authority as our Heavenly Father. Um, using the analogy of a father and, and children, you know, I like it when my kids listen to me. <laughs> I like it when they're obedient. Um, we say that a lot in our house, be obedient. Um, God's the same way. He likes it when we obey His teachings. Jesus says it in John 14.23, If anyone loves Me, he will obey My teachings. And in addition to the great commandments which we read and the great commission, the New Testament is full of situational instructions for how we should live as disciples of Christ. There's a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts, and I won't get into all of those, but we know when we're living for the Lord. We know when our actions are bringing glory to Him and bringing others to Him or when they're just for ourselves. And so that's part of loving God. How do we love others? We, we read the verse in the Great Commandments uh, where, where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that. Love your neighbor as yourself. We love ourselves a lot. <laughs> We're pretty good at that. We don't really need to be taught how to love ourselves, but to love our neighbors as ourselves, love others as ourselves. Think about, you know, have you ever been loved by someone as much as they love themselves? Have you ever loved someone 
as much as you have loved yourselves. That's a pretty heavy thought. In uh, the book of John, as Garrett taught last week, Jesus, um, he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lays his life down for his friends. And before and after he says that, he says, love, this is my commandment, love one another. He says that a few times throughout Scripture. And he encourages us to be willing to lay our lives down for our friends. And the message is clear, whether metaphorically or physically, we are to lay our lives down for our friends. But it's not just our friends, right? Jesus also teaches that we're to love our enemies. And for me, I have a hard time with that. And for those of you who are in the military, sometimes your enemies are trying to kill you. And, and I don't think he's talking about that situation. I think he's talking about our adversaries in day-to-day life, um, that we're supposed to love them and we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us. And let's not overlook the noun in that commandment where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Think about your neighbors. And I know this is a tough one on the North Shore because as nice as your neighborhood is, we all have weird neighbors, right? And I know you're probably thinking of one right now, one particular neighbor who's so offensive, so hard to love, probably undeserving of your love. And Tanya and I know how that feels. Last week, Matter of fact, driving home from church, we're driving into our driveway and we're getting cussed out by a neighbor because our dog had been barking. And I know how you feel. Loving your neighbors is hard on the North Shore. <laughs> or anywhere, anywhere. But the point is that it's our job as Christians, as disciples of Christ, to make them disciples. And we do that by loving God and by loving them. And C.S. Lewis makes a really good point in the book Mere Christianity. He says, this is heavy, so I'm going to read it twice. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you do, and you will presently come to love him. I'll read it again. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you do, and you will presently come to love him. And his point is that the action of love is more important than the feeling of love. And the action is actually independent sometimes of the feeling. So we can actively love someone without really feeling that love. I think my parents felt like that the whole time I was growing up. They loved me, but they didn't really like me. And uh, they had to act it even though they didn't always feel it. Um, but we've, we've talked a bit now about those tasks and how we can apply those tasks in our lives to love God and to love others. And if we do those things, then we'll get toward achieving that purpose that we talked about and read about in the Great Commission. That purpose that we have collectively as believers and disciples of Christ to make more disciples. And Tripp's taught a lot about that. You know, how to make disciples and how to, how to bring others to know the Lord. And the main point is that there are billions of people on this earth who have not yet decided to follow Jesus. Billions of people who don't know Him as their Lord and Savior. And we, whether we're equipped for it or not, or whether we're good at it or not, we are part of God's plan to bring those people to know Him. We are part of God's plan to make more disciples. It's a heavy mission. It's an urgent mission. It's a matter of spiritual life and death. And we'll come back to that. Um, This is the point in the sermon where... Usually if Uncle Butch is teaching, he'll tell a surf story and it'll tie everything together and it'll make sense. But I don't have a lot of surf stories. I have a couple of war stories. I'll, 
I'll tell you one, and only so that I can draw out a few applications and a few parallels between combat operations and the mission statement that guides us on those operations and our mission statement that we have spiritually. And so to I'll give you a little bit of context. I, I said I've been in the Army for 14 years. Um, the first 10 of them, in the first 10 years that Tanya and I were married, I was gone part of every one of those years um, to combat. And sometimes I felt like I was in the most dangerous place on earth at that time. Mosul in the early days of the, the war against Al-Qaeda in Iraq um, in 04 and 05, Baghdad during the Iraq surge, Kandahar during the Afghan surge. Um, and then anytime you're in Helmand province during a poppy harvest season, it's, it's probably the most dangerous place on earth, and I'll get to why. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but that was where my most recent deployment took me. It took me to Helmand, Afghanistan. Helmand's a province in southwestern Afghanistan. And my unit's mission was to target Taliban leaders so that we could restore the legitimacy of the Afghan government and the Afghan security forces. There were The Taliban have historically come from Helmand. It's their birthplace. It's their stronghold. And they've destroyed the legitimacy of the Afghan government and the Afghan security forces. And so we had to target some of the senior leadership of the Taliban to, to restore. And I don't know how well we did because it's still a bad place and uh, it's still a Taliban stronghold. But that was our mission. We were targeting these Taliban senior leaders. And because it was poppy harvest season, these guys were pretty pretty well connected with, with the opium trade that started with the poppies and they provided protection to the poppy farmers so the poppy harvest farmers could grow their cash crop and and then they respected the legitimacy of the Taliban and, and protected the Taliban. And so anytime we'd go after a Taliban guy, we'd generally get in a fight with some disgruntled poppy farmers who may or may not be, you know, the same guys that, you know, are at times fighting for the Taliban. So that's the background. There's a picture. And I don't think this is a picture from the specific mission that I'm going to talk about. I just found this on Google Earth. There's nothing classified here. I found this on Google Earth, but this is a picture from Marja. Marja's a place in the Helmand province uh, where, where a lot of this is going on. And, uh, and if, you, if you fail to pay attention, this is probably kind of hard to understand, but these are canals that, that pull water off the Helmand River. And these are, we call them compounds, but Afghan families live in these walled compounds so that they can protect their livestock and their families that are inside, and then they grow what they're growing around. And in the spring, these are fields filled with poppies to be turned into opium. And this probably isn't the same building, but assume that in this building is is a senior Taliban leader that we were going to go after that night. And because it's poppy harvest season, there are a lot of guys in that compound with him. A lot of guys that may be farming, may be fighting. We don't know, but we need to be prepared for both. And uh, so in this particular mission, we, because they would work during the day and they'd stay up into the night because it was hot, we only had a few hours of darkness and you want to do these types of missions in the darkness for some reasons that I won't go into. Um, so we had a couple hours. We had to land close to the target. We had two helicopters. One was going to land here on the west side. One was going to land here on the south side. I was in the one on the west side, the lead aircraft, and, uh, and then the rest of my guys were in the one that was going to land on the south side. And as we came onto this target, we're landing west and south of, assume that's the target building right there in the middle, we started taking fire. The helicopter I was in had an 
RPG rocket propelled grenade fly right in front of the, the cockpit, just missed our helicopter and we're taking fire from a bunch of fighters that were in and around that building. So we land, door gunners on the helicopters are returning fire and as soon as we land, it was the most awesome, the reason I'm telling you this story is because there's a lot of parallels, but it's one of the most the best memories I have because my guys went running off that helicopter. I could barely keep up with them. I was plugged in to talk to the pilots. I could barely keep up with them because they are running at that building, shooting the enemies, and moving to secure that building so that we could accomplish our mission. The helicopters are protecting us with covering fire as they're leaving. The guys that shot us with the RPG are trying to run to the north and our attack helicopters are taking care of them. The firefight was over in a matter of seconds because everybody did their job. Everybody understood their mission. We didn't have a single friendly casualty. We captured our Taliban leader we were looking for. We got a lot of intelligence off of the target that led us to other targets. And we went back to the base and prepared for the next mission. And I tell you that story because we would not have been successful if we didn't understand our mission our task and our purpose, and if everyone who was a part of that mission didn't execute exactly the way we planned it. And as I described our spiritual task and our spiritual purpose, you know, are we remembering that mission and are we living daily with that urgency? Because this mission you know, may not have meant a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. Uh, that guy we captured, he might be back out on the streets. But for the guys in that fight, it was life or death. Because, you know, if, if my brothers to my right and my left weren't doing what they were supposed to do, it could have been life or death for me and vice versa. Spiritually, our mission matters so much more. We're talking about eternal lives. And it's a matter of life or death. So I'm going to use that story to pull out a few applications. I've got six of them that I'll, I'll talk through. Six parallels between a mission like this and our spiritual mission. First, preparation. We don't do a combat operation like that without a lot of preparation. The reason the guys were so capable and confident is because everyone was well-trained. Our snipers, our breachers, our assaulters, our pilots. Everyone had prepared for this. Everyone had been part of this planning process. Everyone had been in our operations order briefing. Spiritually, you know, this mission's tough. The stakes are high. We're trying to make disciples. Are we studying? Are we preparing to share our faith? Are we preparing to defend our faith? Are we memorizing, memorizing Scripture? Are we spending time with God? To be prepared for this spiritual battle. Second, Detailed planning is critical. I talked about the planning process and and everyone, you know, we had a collective mission, but each individual had a mission. And within this spiritual mission that I outlined, there are individual missions. Some people play in the worship band. Some people teach. Some people lead children's ministry. Some people put out the cushions and the, and the seat covers. And it's all important. And we each have a role, and we need to know our role, and we need to play our role to make sure that the broader mission is accomplished. Execution. I talked about how my guys were running off those helicopters. 
to win that fight. In the Ranger Creed, we, we have a line at the end where we say, readily I display the intestinal fortitude required to fight onto the Ranger objective to complete the mission, though I be the lone survivor. We have to have that urgency. Even if I'm the lone survivor, I'm going to accomplish that mission because that's why I'm here. Those pilots, they could have just said, you know what, I'm taking fire. I'm not going to trade, you know, my life and my helicopter for this Taliban guy. I'm out of here. Or those guys, when they landed, they could have said, I'm staying on the helicopter. I know that's going back to base in a minute for fuel. Or they could have just gotten down where they were because we landed a couple hundred meters from the building. They didn't have to go running toward that building. They didn't know what was in there. But they went for it because they understood their mission and they were moving with a sense of urgency to accomplish it. Number four, relying on your teammates. We couldn't have done that alone. You know, I say, you know, fight on to the ranger objective to complete the mission, though I'd be the lone survivor. But nobody wants to be that lone survivor. I don't know if I could have taken that building by myself against those 10 or 20 fighters. Um, I needed the team. And we needed one another. And it's like that spiritually. We need a community. Life and Christian life, is a, it's a team sport. And fellowship is critical. Are you in a home group? You have a mentor. You have somebody to hold you accountable. Are you challenging others and being challenged by others to grow spiritually? And again, I'm asking myself these same questions. Because uh, that's, that's what's going to help us be successful spiritually. Number five, leadership matters. Combat leaders have to lead from the front. They have to lead by example. Jesus did that for us. He led from the front. He came to earth. He took on human flesh. He was the only human who ever fulfilled that great commandment to love God with heart, soul, and mind. He was the only human who was able to love his neighbor as himself. He showed us the example. And he's still here to help us. He tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And then later in verse 30, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's saying this stuff, it's easy for me to help you succeed in this mission. Lean on me. And then number six, I've said this a few times throughout, but the urgency of the mission. Our mission as Christians, you know, that mission, like I said, it, it may or may not matter in the grand scheme of things. But our mission spiritually is a matter of spiritual life or death. Making disciples, those billions of people out there that I described who haven't heard the Word of God, it's life or death for them on whether they decide to follow the Lord. And we can, we can help them. So to close, I'm going to come back to that verse from Ephesians about living a life that's worthy of our calling. But before I do, I'm going to tell one more war story. This one's not mine. This one's from the movie Saving Private Ryan. Is there anybody out there who hasn't seen Saving Private Ryan? Last service we had one. I spoiled it. Um, so I'm going to tell a story from Saving Private Ryan. I think there's a picture in there, a couple pictures that I pulled. Um, if you haven't seen it or it's been a while, I'll summarize. Um, World War II, D-Day, we're attacking Normandy, biggest operation in military history. Second Ranger Battalion is scaling the, the cliffs at Point du Hoc, and there's a captain played by Tom Hanks who's in the Second Ranger Battalion. They survive, amazingly, they survive 
you know, the, the assault on, on Point Duhawk. And he gets this weird mission. Go find Private Ryan and bring him back to safety. Why? Why is he going to go find Private Ryan? Well, there's a family, the Ryan family. I think they're in Indiana or somewhere. They had four boys. And three of them were killed on D-Day. And their mother was about to get three telegrams saying that her three out of her four sons had been killed on D-Day. And there was one more son, Private James Ryan, in the 101st Airborne, who was still out there somewhere. And so the mission was to go find him and get him back to his family so that they didn't lose all four of their sons. So Captain Miller, Tom Hanks, he's got an eight-man team of rangers, and they're going to go find Private Ryan. But they just jumped in. you know, The 101st jumped in to Normandy. So they're scattered across France. You can't just pick up the radio and say, hey, where's Private Ryan? They've got to go find him, and then they've got to safely bring him you know, to a, a way that they can get him back to his family. It's a pretty heavy mission. And Tom Hanks accepts it and moves out. And amazingly, and this is where I'm going to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it, he finds Private Ryan, played by Matt Damon, and they fight their way you know, through a few more battles. And as you see up here in the top left, Captain Miller, Tom Hanks' character, is shot. And as he's dying, he grabs... I'm going to get emotional, sorry. He grabs Matt Damon's character, Private Ryan, and he pulls him in close and he says, James, earn this. Earn it. And Matt Damon you know, pushes back and you see him in the top right, Private Ryan... He's soaking it all in. He's realizing that this guy, Captain Miller, died so that I could live. And later in life, this is why Spielberg's such a great director, because there's this transition where Matt Damon, the young, turns into Matt Damon, the old. The older Private Ryan is at Arlington Cemetery with his family. He's visiting the grave of Captain Miller. He's talking to him, and he says, Every day I think about what you told me. I try to live the best life that I can to honor the sacrifices that you made for me. And then his family comes over to him and his wife, Private Ryan's wife, is standing right next to him and she she doesn't know what he's talking about. And he looks at her and he says, tell me that I've lived a good life. Tell me that I've been a good man. She's kind of confused, but all right, you're a good man. But it's heavy on him. He understands what has been sacrificed for him, and he understands the responsibility to live a life that's worthy of that calling that he received from Captain Miller on that bridge before Captain Miller passed away. And, you know, the, the analogies between this scene and and our spiritual lives are, are pretty clear. But let's go to that verse that I started with in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus. He's reminding them, in light of what's been done for you, in light of who you are in Jesus Christ, I want you to, he says, I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you, 
to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And I know in a group this big, not everyone's probably a, a disciple of Christ. Not everyone's probably decided to follow him. And if you haven't and you're thinking about it, please come talk to, to one of the folks on the side or one of us after the church, church service and let's make sure that you are a disciple of Christ. And if you are, if you're already following the Lord, but you're looking for how to do that, Let's remember that mission, the task to love the Lord and to love others, the purpose to make more disciples. Let's remember the urgency of it. We need to live lives worthy of the calling so that we can help God make an eternal difference in the lives of the people who don't know Him yet. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for today. I I thank you for who you are and for the opportunity to have a relationship with you. And I thank you for the way that you've commanded us certain things. You've made it really easy for us in your guidance to love you and to love others so that others might come to know you, Lord. And we just ask that you would give us that daily urgency to accomplish that mission for your glory and for your sake. We ask these things in Jesus' name.